I'm so honored to be with you this morning. We uh, love you, Pastor, and uh, we have followed what God has been doing in the life of, of Heartland. It's been a few years since I've been here. It's been amazing in the four services this morning to see what God's doing and, and to think that what he's shaping here really is just the beginning of lives that, that he loves to touch through people like you. I get to talk about that this morning. I get to finish out this study in First Peter chapter 5. As you look there with me, Peter turns his attention from the church at large and specifically addresses the spiritual leaders of the congregation. He writes to the elders, those who shepherd the flock. But believe me, what he says to them fits every single one of us who have our own places of, of influence. This last week, Dee and I were in San Francisco. We came there from here from there and we were there for a number of reasons. Uh, we have a church planning couple starting a church in the heart of San Francisco, and we got to spend some time with them. But the real reason we we're there is it's where our son lives and our 10-year-old grandson, Aiden. And after we'd met with this church couple and they'd been dealing with some crises and we were able to listen and talk and pray and I hope we were an encouragement to them. They, they really encouraged us. We were able to spend the afternoon with, with, with Aiden. We said, do you, do you want to hang out with us? And, and he said, I really want to hang out with you. Well, Aiden's mom and dad, for the last couple of years, have, have gone through a really messy divorce. And as we just kind of hung out with Aiden, I wrestled with him on the floor in the hotel room, and, and uh, we talked, and we listened, and we giggled. And, and it struck me in the middle of that afternoon that with all the churches I get to minister to and pastors and courage and settings that I speak at, that I don't think there was any more more important ministry that I was having than that afternoon with a 10-year-old boy who needed a grandpa that would show him the safety and the love and just the sheer goodness that God is still alive and cares about him. And so in this passage this morning, we're going to listen to these words to elders, and we're going to see that he gives us about seven admonitions that guards our integrity, our spiritual integrity, so that what we bring into ministry situations and into people's lives is the real thing. It flows out of something that the Lord Jesus is doing as we, as we simply want to be vehicles of his grace and of his truth. Here's how Peter starts the fifth chapter with these words. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he gives his first admonition. And these seven words that he's going to speak to us today really ought to be seven messages, but you know these things. We just want to make it a heart checkup. We want to take the moment to say, Lord, is this where I'm at? I'm in a place where your Holy Spirit just has maximum freedom to make Jesus real through me in the, the places where my life is meant to count. And the first check that he gives to us to kind of listen to the spirit of his voice is this. He says, you know, we risk our authority when a willing heart to love and serve people gives way to a grudging spirit. Here's how he puts it. He says, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but Willingly. Isn't that something? That when God comes to us and asks us to follow Jesus, He doesn't just want behavioral change. 
He doesn't say, I want you to learn how to be generous. He says, I'd like you to exercise your generosity cheerfully. In other words, the gift is a great thing, but the gift is really just a reflection of the willingness of your, of your heart. And so he says to those that lead and those that have the chance to put Jesus by example into other people's lives, you know, when, when you slip from a willing spirit to a grudging heart, man, something is lost. Now I got to tell you about that. I, I didn't have a good day yesterday. I wasn't at my best. Dee and I have been doing some intense ministry over the last number of weeks. And as we got up early yesterday morning to get from San Francisco to here, I hadn't slept well. And we had to make a couple of flights and the connections were close. And then we finally made it to Indianapolis to, to get over to Darren's house and enjoy some dinner with them. Somehow they closed down the highway between the airport and here. One lane was open. The other three lanes were, were closed. They weren't doing anything on it. They were just closed. And I'm stuck in traffic, going nowhere, and I'm grumbling. I'm grumbling about the airplane rides. I'm grumbling about the motel we stayed in the night before. I'm grumbling about the dumb people that closed three lanes and didn't do anything with it. And then right in the middle of it, I realized what I'm preaching on this morning. I turned to Dean and I said, I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite tomorrow. Here I have come into this place grumbling about everything in the world. And I'm going to talk to them about ministering out of a willing heart. And... Uh, my wife loves me. She is, she is my prayer partner, my best friend. We're so glad we have to do ministry together. And she speaks truth into my life. And she turned to me and she said, but Jerry, we get to go with, be with people tonight that you love. And I said, I do. I, I love there. There's nobody I respect and appreciate and enjoy hanging out more with than your pastor. Amen. And I tell you what, does he not have a beautiful family? I mean, if I could have raised kids like they're raising. And so... I said, I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to being with, with the Shesky family tonight. And, she's, and we had to be at Heartland Church. We've prayed for Heartland Church. God has done great things at Heartland Church. And, and, and we get to be, we've been looking forward to this. And I said, yeah, I really am looking forward to this. This is one of our great churches. I, I, I want to be there. And then she says, and you get to teach God's word tomorrow. And you love to teach God's word. And I said, I do. And I get to do it four times tomorrow. And then I suddenly, I suddenly realized, I, I, I'm looking forward to this. And I recognized even in that moment that every single one of us have the ability in Jesus Christ to revisit where our hearts are at when we step into people where it's just hard. Sometimes we've been bouncing our head against a wall with folks' lives and, and it just kind of feels like I need to keep hanging in there, but the joy of it's gone. And what he's saying to us, do the check and see where the willingness level is at. And then he builds on that and he gives us a second hard check. And he says, just not only that, not only when we find that our willing heart has become a grudging spirit, but he says, when that eagerness to serve, to serve Jesus, to serve people, when that eagerness to serve is lost to our own self-serving desires, our spiritual integrity, our ability to influence is at risk. Here's how he puts it. He says, don't do this for shameful gain, but do it eagerly. Do it eagerly. Do you remember what it was like when you first found Jesus just loving you and taking you in the middle of your failures and the stuff that you never wanted in your life and suddenly he's bringing a freedom, he's taking some places that are bonded, setting you free and suddenly you find yourself in a place where the Lord is giving you a sense of impact on other people's lives. 
in the sense that God could use somebody like me and I get to be a part of bringing his love and grace into other people's lives and that sense of awe about that. And he's saying what happens sometimes is that in the middle of our doing what he's called us to do among the people that he calls us to serve, our own sense of needs and our own strong desires end up become such a driving force that that eagerness to serve people and serve Jesus gets lost in our own self-serving desires. We forget the sufficiency of Jesus who says to us, when you get weary of heart, come to me. I'll be gentle, I'll be humble. You can take my yoke, it's going to be a well-fitting one for you. I want to give you rest for your soul. I want to meet the needs of your life. I don't want you to use your ministry to other people to satisfy your belonging needs or your achievement needs or your approval needs or feeling worthy because you're doing something for God. I don't want you to suddenly treat something that is a joy like it's a gig that you do for money. When he speaks to us, he speaks to the fact that there's something pure when grace gets poured into our lives and Jesus becomes real and we just simply let it flow into places where we're called. And when that slips away to our own demanding spirits, something precious is lost. And you know, it is precious. I get to watch it all the time. I was with a sister church of yours up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wonderful ministry. They're about to launch a multi-site like the one I was just in an hour ago. And so I met with the crew that was going to be the launch crew for this new multi-site early before I preached in the church. They were so fun. They were so excited about starting this new venture. And one of the guys that I talked to, a lot of them that were part of this are relatively new to the Lord. And and, uh, and now they were finding a place where they can make an impact. I remember one of the guys came up to me and, and he said, it was just huge enthusiasm. He said, can you believe it? A year ago, I didn't even know Jesus. And now I get to be an usher. And I, I, he gets to be an usher. And you'd think he was just made the church chairman. And, uh, and I listened to the joy in his life. And I thought, God, please. Don't ever let them lose it. I mean, what would churches be without people who weren't people lovers, who made people feel home the moment they walk in the door, who didn't just ooze the kind of grace and acceptance that a church like this is meant to, to carry. God, thank you for this man, the eagerness to simply make people feel at home when they walk in the door. I was being driven when I was a pastor in a church uh, home from a meeting by a, a couple that worked with our single adults. And, and when we got into the driveway, Kurt Peterson and Nancy were in the front seat. I was in the back. And before they let me get out of the car, Kurt turned around the back of the seat and he turned to me and he said, Pastor, I just got a question for you. And I said, what's that, Kurt? He said, he said do, do other people, does everyone in our church love ministering to people as much as we love ministering to these singles. And I thought about their lives. I thought about this couple who had already raised their own kids and now weren't just having activities and Bible studies for single adults, but single young men and women were in their home almost all the time talking about broken romances and jobs that weren't going anywhere and life stuff. And, and here they were, mom and dad, when these kids were far from the real moms and dads and... and uh, 
just the purity of how they loved loving these singles. And what a beautiful thing. And what's lost when I hear people say, you know what, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. What's lost when we say, man, I'd love doing this if it weren't for him or for her, if it weren't for, weren't for that. And so he comes to us and he speaks to us about the level of the fact that what we bring into people's lives flows out of where our hearts are at. And then he makes a statement that I turn to all the time in my ministry because it's at the core of what I believe I'm called to be about. And this is what he said. Here's the next admonition. He says, And not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He said, Your influence is at risk when you go from being a compelling example to being just one more controlling person. We all have areas where we're given responsibility and spiritual leaders in churches like parents in a home or folks who have a realm of responsibility in a workplace need to make hard choices. We need to set boundaries around our values and what we do. Sometimes we need to exercise tough love. Sometimes we need to make decisions where we say, no, we're not going to do this because this is where God is calling us to be. But we understand something. We understand that real change in people's lives doesn't happen because we've made choices that have brought them into compliance. You see... I enjoyed pastoring churches. I loved the staffs that worked around me and is probably the best thing God ever let me do. But when I came to serve our, our group of churches, this movement of churches, I came into a setting where, where all of our churches are independent. Our districts uh, have their own boards, their own authority. And so whatever we do together, we do voluntarily. We do it because trust has been built. We do it because we've listened to God and he's given us a common vision. We do it because we learn to love each other in a way in which we care about the other person's ministry as much as we do our own. We do what we do because God has moved our hearts together to say yes to him. Let's exercise this faith. So whenever I step out of my office, I leave all of my positional authority behind. The only thing that I bring into any setting that I step into is hopefully something that is real in me, that is in harmony with God's vision, God's passion, what Jesus longs to do, so that when my life rubs up against the lives of other people, they don't comply to external pressure. They are changed internally with something that is God-given. You know... Heartland Church is built all around that philosophy. I mean, you feel it when you come here, don't you? Some places you go into and you just get religious expectation and obligation. But when you come here, what you get is the fact that God who loved you before the blade of grass knew that it would cost him his son, chose to come to make you not a good rule-keeping church member, but to set you free to be everything he made you to be in the first place. Don't you love that? Well, what's going to reproduce that in your children? 
What is going to reproduce that among your friends? What's going to make your family different? What's going to step into your workplace and change the, the air that you breathe, an air that's often toxic or bitter or angry or hurt? What's it going to be? Because you come in with a position of being, I'm a Christian here, and this is what I expect? Or is it because... There's something breathing in you that has to do with the very heart of God. And because you step into that place, Jesus is in that place. You know, every major change that has happened in my life that has moved me forward in faith took place, every single one of them, because somebody who had been there before I was there, where I could see it in them, I could smell it, I could touch it, chose to come alongside of me and walk with me into some place where I had been broken and I needed to be whole, or I needed to exercise faith and I was scared to death, or I needed to step into something God had made me for that I didn't feel ready to do. And so Peter is saying, all of us have an ability to fall back into our old self-patterns. And one of those self-patterns is a controlling pattern. We want people to do things the right way, our way. We have this preference of how things ought to be done. And so we will find our ways to try to impose our expectation instead of infect others with the contagious presence of Jesus who's doing something new in our lives. He said, boy, we lose that. We're not leading in a way where people are transformed. We're just creating external conformity. He said, it isn't the way of Jesus. The next uh, admonition that becomes a heart check for us in our marriages and families, workplaces, is the heart check that's found when he makes this statement beginning in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, because often that's where the struggle is. They haven't been beat around enough yet. He says, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Our influence is at risk when humility gives way to pride. When uh, in subtle ways... Our ego finds itself being disturbed about one thing or another. Nobody even notices what I do anyway. They didn't fund my part of the ministry enough last year. The leaders of our church just don't really care about what I do. This was not what I intended, and people have never really appreciated how I think about this. This strong sense of what pride does between people and between us and, and God. I love the way in which the Bible tells the story of Moses at a time when the leaders around him began to disrespect him and grumble against him. You see, he had married a woman they didn't approve of. She was from another nation. She was from another color. God approved of her, but they didn't. And so they're grumbling as Moses, and it gave root to a whole lot of other offenses that they felt. And when God came to correct and rebuke them, including Moses' own brother and sister, he didn't say to them, Moses is the most gifted leader I have. Nor did he say, cut it out. He's the best preacher I've got. (laughs) Because we know he wasn't a good communicator. What he did was he came and he said, uh, 
Moses is the humblest man I have. I can trust him. I can trust him. And I want you to follow him. You see, it's those that know how much they need everything Jesus has to give, who wake up every morning so grateful that his mercies are new today because I need them today. Those who never find themselves in a place where they go, I've got this thing wired. I know what I'm doing in this ministry situation. But they know that in this moment, if my dependency isn't in place in a way in which the Lord can find a humble servant, then everything I do he'll oppose because it will not work for his glory. It won't work for what he chooses to do in people's life. When I was 26 years old, I became a pastor of a little church up in a mountain town in Colorado. And I think partly because I I just uh, was a people pleaser. I wanted to be the best possible pastor I could be. I wanted people to like me. I wanted them to be proud of their their pastor. So I was 26 and I was doing things I'd never done before. And I tried to do them like I'd done them a hundred times. I just wanted to be perfect. I wanted my people to be proud of their young pastor. And then one day I did my first baptism. And uh, I had a couple of young women, college age, who'd come to faith, and they're about to profess it openly through baptism. I was standing in the top step, back room, ready to go down into the baptistry tank at the front of the church to baptize these women. I was going over my head what I want to say, what I want to do. I wanted to get it exactly right. To this day, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I don't know if I tripped on the robe that I was wearing or... If the top step was slippery, all I know is that uh, our little church saw their young pastor fall face first out of the back room into the baptistry tank. When I hit the water, it created a tidal wave that went over the top. We had an 80-year-old organist who was playing soft back room and music alone. She never saw it coming. I baptized more people that day than I ever intended to. Not all of them by immersion. You know what? The congregation loved it. Boy, when the service was over, did they give me a hard time. They kidded me mercilessly. They teased me. They patted me on the back. They gave me such a hard time. And then they began to tell me about their most embarrassing experiences. And we laughed and we had fun. And it was the best thing that happened to me. And to our church. Because I stopped wearing Saul's armor uh, the appearance of being a perfect pastor. And I became just one more person who absolutely needed everything Jesus had to give to me. And was able to say to folks, why don't we come and follow Jesus together? Because this thing that we're doing is his thing. And and man, if we ever get in a place where we think it's ours, we're in a bad place. Somebody say amen to that. And so he speaks to us about doing the heart check of pride. And you know what? When our feelings are hurt, that might be a pretty good place to begin to say, why is that? That my joy in serving has been taken away because somebody stomped on my feelings and what does God want to do to minister to me in a way that my sense of worth is fixed in Him and not somebody who needs grace as much as I need grace. Here's what he said. There's one more thing that I want you to hear and that is we find ourselves in a dangerous place when faith surrenders to fears. Let me just read it to you because you know this passage, but hear it with fresh ears. He said, cast all of your anxieties on him because he does care for you. He said, if you're going to exercise spiritual influence, you've got to know what to do with your fears. 
these little things that, you know, fear can either come and sit on your chest like an elephant. You had that happen? Or it can be like rats running around in the, in the attic way of your head when you're trying to sleep at night. It can be a whole bunch of little stuff that just kind of ganged up on you and suddenly you find yourself in a place where it's just hard to freely give and bring into people's lives the faith that Jesus had planted in your heart because a spirit of fear has just fallen over you. My uh, mom and dad loved Jesus. I'm so blessed to grow up in a home that I grew up in. But my mom grew up in a home where her father was a, an abusive alcoholic. And uh, when he'd come home drunk, which is often, he came home in a rage and he was violent. It was a scary place to live. And my mom and her two sisters and her brother never knew what was going to happen next. And so when my mom came of age, she came out of that background with all kinds of understandable fears and feelings of anxiety. I wish you could have watched what God did in my mom's life before she went to be with Jesus. I wish you could have seen how God met her in the middle of so many of those things that scared her to death where she could imagine the worst and brought such wonderful freedom, such wonderful confidence. You really ministered to her in ways wishing God really does care. Why do I have to be anxious about this? He's bigger than this. Beautiful to see. But because I was the eldest son, I think I grew up when she was young and her anxiousness came into my life by osmosis. And I grew up shy and fearful in so many ways. There are times when I'd be preaching in a church where I was serving and my mom would be there and she'd come up to me after me and she'd say, but, but son, you're such a shy boy. And i go, oh, mom, I know. We both have so many things that hold us back from saying what we need to say, doing what God would have given us the freedom to do, stepping into places where we're designed to be his person in that place. I'm so grateful that I have a father who in patience has met me in all those insecure places that made me so afraid of what people would think and afraid of what people would say and afraid of stepping in with any sense of authority. And he's shown himself to be bigger than all of that. Let me put on the mantle of his authority. Let me step into every setting known that he had already prepared me for this good work. That he had already ordained that I would be the one with all of my inadequacies to be the means, to be the servant, to be the one who would breathe his presence into that situation. And I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning, what one of these heart checks he said to you. But I know there are folks in this place who are being held back from words that need to be spoken and next steps of faith in people's lives that you need to exercise. Because there's been a spirit of fear that God wants to come along and say to you in the most gentle way possible, I absolutely care about that. I absolutely care about you. You can give that to me. I never intended for you to carry that and for it to become a smothering influence over your freedom to let Jesus alive in you become alive in the places where I bring you, every single place I bring you. And then he makes this statement. He says, in addition to this, while you're checking your heart, I want you to know that you're risking your influence when vigilance 
is eroded by spiritual carelessness. He says this, So be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's saying, you know, if we're going to be used by God, we ought to expect that the one who hates God, the one who stands guard over a kingdom of darkness, will do anything to keep our impact from being felt in people's lives, particularly if he can steal our integrity, particularly if he can destroy our credibility, particularly if he can take us from a place where what Jesus is doing in us is, is real and is fresh and put us in a place where it just doesn't ring true anymore. And so he says to us, you got to be watchful. you got to set a guard on your heart. You need to wake up every morning knowing that I am big, but there's a real enemy who, like a lion, is looking to destroy you. He wants to eat your lunch spiritually. We saw in this video before I came up the pictures of people who are part of our movement. I like this video, but every time I've watched it recently, it's been painful to watch because one of the individuals up there, a friend of mine, is a wonderful godly man, a great leader who was leading a wonderful congregation isn't speaking to that congregation this morning, isn't bringing God's word to that congregation because he didn't set some boundaries around his emotions and around his relationships. And he let himself get too close to a woman, too emotionally bound up in someone who wasn't his own wife. And suddenly it entangled him in a relationship that stole the respect of his children, put his marriage on the edge, took away the trust that his congregation had placed in him. And every time I see the video, I wonder, should we take that little clip out? And then something inside of me says, no, because I don't think God is finished with his story yet. I mean, we've all fallen. We've all, we've all gotten careless. We've all... I don't think anybody that really knows and loves Jesus wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to throw everything away for a bowl of porridge. I don't don't think anybody just kind of says, you know what? I think today I'm going to throw it all over. Everything is precious to me. And I'm going to make a stupid decision that will destroy my spirit. I don't think anybody does that. But I do think that we become careless instead of watchful. I do think we allow some things to linger in our life that before God we should have dealt with long ago. I do think that we let some things become compartmentalized in our heads, in our hearts that we make peace with that becomes a foothold for Satan. And he knows when to play his cards. He knows when to take that thing and to bring destruction. And so we can have an angry attitude that touches our family and just go, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's just the way I am. I'm Italian or I'm French or I'm Swedish or I'm whatever. My dad was like this and so I'm like this. And we can just kind of act like this is no big thing or we can guard a fantasy that we know will lead us no place good or a desire that we can kind of tweak away at the edges of our life when nobody's looking and somehow think that this is not going to lead to a bad place. But uh, he's saying, listen, you precious, you precious people who exercise the influence of Jesus and other people's lives, it's all at risk when you stop being watchful and you start getting careless.
Now, I'm landing this now. Here's, here's, the, last, here's the last word. Here's what he says. He says, uh, here's one more heart check. He says this, so resist him. Resist this adversary. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, your brothers and sisters. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, and to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter writes and says, you know, sometimes this hope we have of eternal gain Gain in terms of lives that find Jesus. Gain in terms of a church that is a voice for all that's good in a community. Gain in terms of rescuing out of darkness people that we're going to, have to spend eternity with. The, the gain of being a faithful servant gets lost in our short-term fears about how hard this is, about how painful this is, about how sometimes our trying to love and serve people it's like a voice crying in the darkness. It's like whistling through a graveyard. It's just like so hard, I can't keep doing it. Yes. And he's saying, do you think this is unique to you? Do you think this is your battle alone? You have brothers and sisters all over the world representing the kingdom of God and the places where they've put them are finding themselves under the same attacks, feeling the same pain, dealing with the same fears. But you know what? He says, they like you and like me press through to the grace of God, all the grace of God, because we know that we are partakers of his glory and a day is coming where all the glory that belongs to God will be given to him when Jesus returns and makes the crooked places straight and takes those places that are so dark and fills them with light. And we, because when we were worrisome and inadequate and insecure found our sufficiency in Jesus and we took on his mantle. When we were in a place where folks were not listening and were not respecting and it was just so hard and their words were painful towards us, understood that our worth and well-being would never be found in them, always be found in him. And so we made a decision led by the Spirit to say, I'm not going to let the pain of the moment steal from me the eternal glory of standing with Jesus when he comes and being a part of his victory. Can I end with a dumb story? Would, would you give me permission to do that? It, it, please forgive the silliness of this. I have done uh, a lot of weddings that have been wonderful, beautiful weddings. But back in the 70s, when I first started a ministry in Colorado, I, I was asked to do a lot of weddings that were just dumb. I mean, they not ordinary, they're just different. I got to do a wedding once, officiated a wedding uh, on the top of a mountain overlooking a valley. It was so high, half the wedding party couldn't get up there. When we got up there, the, the bride said to me, Pastor Jerry, would you mind standing with your back to the cliff so we can have the view of the valley below? And I stood there with my heels to the edge of that cliff and the wind was blowing so hard over the continental divide, I had to shout the vows out in order for them to hear I did a wedding once on horseback where I was wearing a flannel shirt and I was better dressed than the bride. I, I have done weddings. But here's the one that takes the cake. I did a wedding for a disc jockey at a local radio station 
who wanted his whole wedding to be choreographed to a mixed tape of his favorite songs. And so when the wedding started and the back doors opened, he wasn't at the front standing next to me waiting for his bride to come down. He was escorting her in himself. He was wearing a white tux, a white cummerbund, white tie, white shoes. His wife was nearly as beautiful as he was as they waited to come into the, to the room. When the doors opened and they stepped in, the mixtape started and the wedding march was the theme song to Star Wars. It was. And it wasn't just any part of Star Wars. It was that moment where the Star Wars theme comes to its crescendo at the end of the first Star Wars movie when Luke Skywalker and band have just, against all odds, seen the Death Star blown up and the Republic saved. And now they come back from their conquest and they step into the assembly of all of the senators and they walk in to receive their victory crowns and suddenly the Star Wars anthem resounds in great triumph. Well, that's how they walked in to do their wedding. It was, it was dumb. But I'm going to miss something to you. And that is, I now can't picture our coming moment of glory in any other way. I mean, Luke Skywalker, Wookiee and all, I, I see us when that Death Star explodes and the kingdom comes and the Prince of Heaven comes for his own. And God, whose glory is all around us, is suddenly seen. It fills the earth. And we who press through stand as partakers of his glory and in that moment it will be worth it. It will be worth it. it. I can almost hear Star Wars playing now. (laughs) Oh folks. We just let it seep a moment where you are right now just in terms of how God has spoken in terms of relationships were exercising influence for you is particularly challenging or settings were. Fresh wind needs to blow into your life or Jesus needs to become your sufficiency again. Where is where is it? Where is it? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that folks like us well, we couldn't even ever imagine that you might use us at all, that by sheer grace you've put people in our lives that somehow have our names on them and we have a place of calling that has to do with forever, has to do with eternity, it has to do with your glory. And Lord, we don't want to waste those moments, those opportunities. And Lord, mostly we don't want to be in a place where anything would be an hindrance to your spirit flowing and working through us in a way in which Jesus becomes huge in other people's eyes. And so we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for letting me talk with you this morning.